Welcome to Totally Sort Of, the podcast. It's sort of like a review show, and totally like catching up with your best friend. I'm Chris. And I'm Darren. We're going to let you know what kind of geeky goodness we've been watching, reading, playing, and listening to over the past week. We'll tell you a little bit about why we did or didn't like it, and hopefully help you decide if you would. Sounds like a plan. Uh, Before we get into the week in geek, have you got any kind of uh, random updates for me? I do have something totally random. I was snowboarding away in Vermont for the past week. Snowboarding? That's not something I uh, get up to very often. It's actually something I do once a year. We own a timeshare in Vermont. We go down with, this year, four other families. We ski and snowboard for the week at a resort called Smuggler's Notch. Smuggler's Notch. The dirty, dirty place to go. Yeah, it's got kind of an interesting story because the the name Smuggler's Notch relates to the, uh, it's basically a path between the two mountains that leads from uh, one side of Vermont to the other. And in the early 1800s, it was used to smuggle uh, goods so that they could continue to trade with the French in Canada before when there was an embargo on trade with <laughs> the French. And then uh, during the Prohibition era, it was used to smuggle booze from Canada down into the States. Cool. And so there's a resort right uh, at the base of the notch called Smuggler's Notch that we discovered 12 years ago. And we've been going there every winter ever since. Holy crap. That's a long time. Sounds like fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. How about you? What uh, random activities have you done this week? Uh, We were out this weekend. Uh, We've been kind of traveling around and hiking around uh, different places in Ontario on weekends. And on Saturday night, we were at uh, an inn in Fergus called the Brettlebane Inn. And a fairly unremarkable visit. It was a nice time. But uh, we ended up seated next to uh, an elderly couple who were on a first date. And couldn't help but pretty much eavesdrop on their entire conversation and listening to a couple of mm, early 70s, maybe, people on a first date was pretty entertaining. I was going to ask what uh, we now consider to be an elderly couple. <laughs> That's maybe dangerous territory. But it yeah. was funny. They were uh, they were perplexed by why Canadian beer prices were more expensive than uh, imported beers. And uh, lots of wildly politically incorrect uh conversation but there's there's something kind of quaint and entertaining about people who can kind of get away with being politically incorrect because you know they literally are from a different era but anyways there was some sort of conversation about me too and uh we we caught the woman telling uh her her date that uh she'd pinched an ass or two in her time <laughs> So, yeah, that was our fun for the week. Great. So are we going to get into our weekly roundup? Yeah, so how was your week in Geek? Um, I'm going to start off with TV. It seems to be the place to start. I finished up the first season of the 
the new Amazon version of The Tick. Have you seen that at all? Uh, no, but I have been meaning to watch it for a while. I think it's on my to-do list. Yeah, uh, it's it's totally worth doing. It was a little bit of a slow start. I wasn't completely sold on the uh, the casting of Peter Serafinowitz, I guess we say, as The Tick. Um, but he's definitely got a good vibe going. Uh, the writing team is still um, very, very true to the other iterations of The Tick. Um, and they kind of bring a, a good backstory in. Uh, but where it really starts picking up is when you get more and more characters introduced is really when the, the kind of Tick feel starts coming back in and it really kind of hit its stride towards the second half. Do you feel like, as I do, that the animated version is still the gold standard for the Tick? It is, and I go back to it uh, fairly regularly, but um, I, I don't have a problem with with new versions. Um, I think, you know, it's uh, a rich vein to mine, um, but it, it is a little bit sad seeing when something gets kind of rehashed in another format just because there's certain elements that they feel the need to not retread and i feel like there was so much great stuff done in the original series that they've just i'd rather see them redo some of that original stuff it is a fine line with uh, how much you go over what has happened in the past and how much you accept that people already know who are drawn to it yeah uh but it, it definitely has a good vibe um it's less comic booky less overtly comic booky which you know they had to do, but uh, it definitely gets gets the feeling really good, really well. Uh, there's a great scene where the tick is kind of crashes a party at uh, Arthur's parents' house, and he's chatting with uh, Arthur's father-in-law, who is just kind of pleasantly amused that there's a, a superhero at his party, and and uh, the tick. Um, this is fairly canonical to the comics but i don't think they really explored it that much in the in the animated series the tick really doesn't know much about himself at all and he doesn't really know he's not really aware that he's kind of amnesiac and the father-in-law asks him about his suit and he's like so do you always wear that thing and it just kind of blows the tick's mind and he has a great line where he's like so am i always naked or am I never naked? He doesn't even know if it's a suit. It's great. <laughs> that is good. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something you'll have to check out. Uh, the, you also can look forward to Jackie Earl Haley as uh, the Terror. One of the, the few carried over characters through all the different versions of the Tick. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it's on my watch list and on my uh, get to get to list on Amazon. Good stuff. What have you been watching? On television this week, I watched My Next Guest Needs No Interruption by uh, the uh, new David Letterman. Sorry, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, <laughs> the uh, new David Letterman talk show on Netflix. Yeah, I saw there's a new one out. I guess it's going to be a monthly or weekly. It seems maybe bi-weekly. Yeah. Every two weeks. So I had not watched the first one with Obama, and so I just jumped in with the second one, and then I actually went back and watched the the first Obama. So the second one is an interview with George Clooney. Mm -hmm. uh, I liked it generally. 
because it both felt like nostalgia of seeing Letterman on TV for the first time, but also felt like something new. Mm-hmm. That's and, fair. Uh, I'd agree with that. I think uh, it kind of pushes both those buttons. And I I liked the long-form interview style, which is kind of interesting because the long-form interview has kind of disappeared except for in podcasts mm. where they exist quite regularly. And so I felt like I was, I mean, if you put aside the video, it was almost like many of the podcasts I listened to, just mm-hmm. a, a relatively free-form, long-form interview with one person. I mean, granted, he has the little segments where they do things like the, in the Clooney episode, they go to his parents' home and talk to his parents about okay. him and they do a Skype call with his wife and there's a little sort of comedic segment where they're standing by an airport eating fast food watching planes take <laughs> off and land and talking about the planes but the other than those little vignettes it's really just a long form 45 to 50 minute interview with one guest where they just talk right and it uh, feels less scripted than a lot of things that are on tv lately and it's really just a conversation between the two of them see now i'd be interested to see the Clooney one because i did feel like the barack obama conversation although it was really uh entertaining um a little bit interesting it, it felt it didn't feel supernatural um like it didn't feel terribly natural i mean um didn't feel supernatural either <laughs> but uh, i don't know i guess there's only so maybe you can only be so comfortable speaking to a, a president or a former president um there was a little bit of like just kind of hero worship which you know fair enough there were i think just a few moments where it just felt a little a little weird but yeah i'd be interested to see the Clooney one because he always had a good rapport with Clooney. yeah and in terms of it feeling like a natural conversation it's evident when you watch it that letterman is impeccably prepared because a couple of times he would say things like do you want to tell me about your first job or else i can just talk about your first job so it's it's obvious he was incredibly and impeccably prepared and knew uh, almost all of the things that he wanted to talk about but it still had this feel of uh, it didn't feel like clooney had prepared answers for everything it was uh, like Letterman had done extensive background yeah. research or has a staff that does extensive background research for him. And, uh, but it came across as if they were not, he was not getting prepared answers for, to all those questions. Cool. I, I mean, I loved, I really enjoyed it. And I remember seeing or hearing about when he was coming back to TV. And uh, my favorite quote was, I don't know if you heard what he said when somebody asked him about why he was coming back. And he said, uh, when you decide to leave your job so that you could spend more time with your family, you should probably check with them first if that's something they want. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, You got anything to report on the movie front this week? I do not. Did you see any movies this week? I sat down to watch The Cloverfield Paradox. See, I, that's interesting because for some reason I have seen none of, I think there are three Cloverfield-related films now, this being the third one. Yes, this is the third entry in the Cloververse, 
Yes, I use that <laughs> word. Uh, I feel dirty, but I I saw that word in in reading some background information for this. Uh, just for a quick rundown for the four people, including you, who haven't seen any of these movies. The first one was uh, sort of a found footage, shaky cam um, creation, sort of along the lines of Blair Witch, uh, but with kind of a city-destroying kaiju as the uh, big bad, so sort of uh, Blair Witch meets Godzilla kind of thing. It was pretty good. Enjoyed it. It was new at the time and uh, well-received. That was 2008. And then a few years ago, there was a little kind of almost felt like an indie thriller called 10 Cloverfield Lane, which uh, that was 2016. And apparently that one was just kind of picked up by Abrams and sort of tweaked to work uh, some tie-ins to the first movie in very, it's an acceptable kind of tie-in. It's it's a very loose tie-in. Isn't John Goodman in that one? John Goodman's in it. He's he's really good. He plays a survivalist, and uh, he's got a couple of people in his bunker with him, and they may or may not want to be there. So it's a it's a good survivor or thriller that kind of takes a couple of twists, and that brings us to the Cloverfield Paradox, which uh, had a good trailer. I was completely caught off guard by this, as I guess most people were. It was kind of um, sprung on um, the public uh, during the Super Bowl. There had been a little bit of word that this movie was coming, and then during the Super Bowl they announced that, hey, this is going to be on tonight. So it was kind of like a big reveal. And um, big reveal of a really mediocre movie. Really? Yeah, so it's um, it's basically your run-of-the-mill, creepy things are happening on a space station movie which seems to have become uh, a bit of a, a bit of a trope. So basically there's a crew of people trying to save the world through technology and uh, they're on this save the world mission and something goes terribly wrong and um, haunted slash sci-fi weirdness ensues. So it was kind of a mixed bag. The cast was really good. Um, I was really pleased to see Roy from the IT crowd, uh, who most people know as Chris O'Dowd. Really happy to see him in there. He played some, uh, gave it some really good comic relief. His role also featured the best performance by a severed limb in a motion picture since Evil Dead 2. Um, that was probably one of the highlights of the movie. But, um, yeah, when, when things start getting weird, uh, the movie kind of breaks down pretty quickly and, um, the, tie-ins to Cloverfield were so shoehorned in and totally unnecessary and unproductive to the movie. It was just really weird. It's like, why just buy a so-so movie and slap this name on it for brand recognition? Um, I don't know. It was, you know, it was a watchable movie, but it was really not very good. And I don't think it's done anything to uh, endear people to the Cloverfield verse or brand. So they, uh, in effect, they have DC Warnered the Cloververse? Something like that. Apparently we're getting a Hasbro-verse, too. I've heard about that. Yeah. I don't know what to think. It's a, it's a weird weird time when uh, 
you know, I think it's just kind of scary how many movies can't seem to get anywhere without a brand label slapped on them. Yeah, the horror, I think they were calling it the dark universe, seems to have uh, fallen by the wayside after the mummy stumbled and fell. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they insist on keeping that going. I guess I am mildly interested in the King Kong uh, Godzilla crossover that they're building towards. I'm okay with seeing them try and pull that off. Yeah, that'd be fun. I saw a graphic today, I think it was uh, Neil Gibson, who uh, runs T-Pub Publishing, a series of books that I've been uh, reading for years called uh, Twisted Dark. Okay. He publishes uh, a couple of other books through his own publishing company and has a couple of artists that he posts stuff with them every once in a while. And today he posted this graphic of the Hulk standing in the foreground with King Kong in the background and uh, the a graphic of the, have you ever seen those kids books, Who Would Win? Yeah. So the kids books, Who Would Win, are basically like a, a, a lion and a tiger who would win and then they give you all the stats so he had that graphic posted over and i was like that would be kind of interesting the hulk fighting king kong (laughs) good stuff moving on then to board games i have a board game that i played this week despite the fact that i was in vermont well i played a whole bunch of board games with the kids while we were in vermont but one that's new and interesting what's that Again, while we were at Shucks, the board game convention out in Vancouver, we had the chance to try a pre-release version of a game called Stuffed Fables. Ah, yes, that was a good game. Which I then pre-ordered when we got back, and it showed up uh, just before we went to Vermont last week, and I had the nice. chance to pull it, pull it out and play a couple of games before we left. So you're playing, uh, playing with the, the boys? Yep. And they quite love the storybook aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So Stuffed Fables is a, it's basically a dungeon crawler type game, but everything, uh, the board, the instructions, the the ongoing story to the game is a single bound uh, ringed book. And so you open up the two, the page of the book and on one side is the map that you're going to use for that a particular level uh, or story mm-hmm. in the game and on the other side are any special instructions you need to play out that story on that map very cool and the the overall game idea is that you play the stuffed animals uh, that belong to this little girl and during three particular stages of her life that are particularly uh, involve big changes and potential traumatic outcomes to her life, you have to protect her from the monsters uh, that live in this uh, monster universe underneath her bed. It's, it's not the it's not the Warner MonsterVerse, just to be clear. No. So the the first one starts when she has uh, is a very little girl and has moved out of her crib into her big girl bed, and that night uh, the monsters crawl out from underneath her bed and try and steal her blanket, and they drag it back into the universe under the bed, and you, her dutiful stuffed animals, go after the blanket to retrieve it for her. Cool. So I'm I'm curious because, uh, as you mentioned, we played it at this convention, played a demo of it and quite enjoyed it. 
Um, but my memory is a little hazy and we only played one game. So I'm curious of a couple things. First of all, um, are you sort of running it as a game master or are you playing a character alongside uh, the other players? No, you play alongside the other players. It has a system for you put all the enemies on the board or there are conditions okay. in that list of things on the right-hand side of what happens when so certain everybody things plays. happen. Yeah, everybody plays. Everybody plays. And uh, the other thing I'm curious about is um, how many missions have you played and how do you feel that the the game is progressing through multiple games? So we've played three of the stories, the first mm-hmm. three. And uh, it's it's really fun beca- and the kids are totally caught up in the story elements because in addition to just giving you instructions to each uh, each new story that you play as you flip the pages, mm-hmm. there's sort of a thematic little stories on the side which include little nursery rhymes about the characters, uh, about your characters, the stuffed animals, but also about sort of if you're about to encounter some new monster or creature in the game, there'll be a little nursery rhyme or a little snippet of some fairy tale that they've made up about these creatures. Now, now something I I think we really need to point out for people who might not be familiar with this title is it might sound really juvenile, but there's a really kind of morbid edge to it uh like a kind of a tim burton gothicness to it there is it because at the end of the day you're a stuffed animal running around with scissors stabbing these sort of spider monster creatures that are running that are running off with this the little girl's blanket and they're pretty creepy looking even the even the heroes that you play are all a little uh, creepy looking that was what drew me in the, uh, initially was the the characters that you play they're these kind of cutely illustrated uh stuffed animals but they've all got really nasty weapons like a rusty cleaver and scissors and yeah it's a, it's a really cool really cool theme i really love the mechanic and we played it but you're your hit points or your life that you keep track of is how much stuffing you have. And as an action on your turn, you can tear out your own stuffing and give it to one of the other players if uh, somebody is low on stuffing. And if you run out of stuffing, you collapse, but somebody else can come by and take stuffing and, and give it to you. And the, the there are little tokens that look like uh, little bits of that's awesome. Basically, stuffed animal stuffing that represent how much life you have, and you give it away or get more. Yeah, cool. So, is there a game you've been playing that you found interesting this week? Yes, I finally got a Kickstarter game called Hardback. Uh, it's a sequel to an older deck building game called Paperback. Did I ever get a chance to play that with you? I feel like we did, but I don't have a specific recollection of it. So Paperback came out in uh, 2014. Uh, It was designed by Tim Fowers and self-published. It's basically Dominion crossed with Scrabble. So it's a word-making game where all the cards in your deck are letters. And it's a deck builder, a la Dominion, where you start with a very small pile of cards and you buy more and more cards into your deck so that you can make longer and and more elaborate words. It's really cool. Didn't we play didn't we play this at Shucks? Yes, very late at night. <laughs> yes. That's, that's right. We played it we played it like at 
1230 or something and we were both a little jet lagged and everybody at the table was kind of loopy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was fun. I enjoyed it. So uh, hardback is the new, it's kind of the 2.0 version. It's very much the same concept in terms of you're just playing cards that are letters to spell words. But in many, many ways, paperback was built on the framework of Dominion, which is the first deck building game. And this one is very much built on the framework of Star Realms. So um, it's faster to set up. It's a little simpler to learn, but the cards are a little bit more complicated. So uh, it's a really cool, really cool setup. You have sort of four genres of letters. Uh, So the books, uh, the cards all look like a nicely bound spine of a book. Uh, And the four colors or genres are action, horror, uh, mystery, and romance. And each of those colors has a different little effect. So it's a it's a really cool game. Um, plays really nicely with two. Plays scales up to five players, and um, it's just it's a really good deck builder that has something very different going on than your standard deck builder. So uh, definitely one to look out for. I don't know if it's going to be in stores. Paperback never seemed to make it to stores. Highly highly recommend it if you like deck building games, or if you like word games and you've never heard of a deck builder. This is a good way to learn the one. It's worth checking out. Yeah, I enjoyed Paperback quite a bit when we played it. It was fun. Yeah. The uh, the only downside to this one, uh, really, is that the first... Well, actually, both versions of the game, Paperback and Hardback, have some fantastic art by uh, a guy named Ryan Goldsbury. The only thing that I was a little disappointed in is the art doesn't actually feature in the game, the gameplay so much of this new one. It's just kind of, you know, on the box and on supporting materials, but you don't come across it through the gameplay as much. So a little bit of a downer because it's some really cool, cool art and some nice humor in there too. So, yep. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I'll have to check it out uh, if I can find a copy or I'll just wait and play it with you. That also works. (laughs) All right, Mr. Hogan, it is time for your homework. Last week, I, uh, as part of the take home top three, I had assigned you the task of, Coming up with your personal list of the top three comic book movie misfires. So that could be characters or actors or overall movies. What were your three biggest comic book personal train wrecks? All right. So there are three that immediately came to mind and I didn't delve much deeper. I just went with the first three that uh, immediately came to mind. Okay. So they're, they're kind of in... Uh, ascending order from the one that I really cared about the least, but which still offended me to the one that bothered me the most. <laughs> All right. So number three would be the second Fantastic Four movie. Okay. The Rise of the Silver Surfer. Um, I mean, I love the Silver Surfer Galactus uh, combo mythos in the Fantastic Four comics. Sure. And I thought generally they sort of botched the whole thing in the movie. Uh, from the start, there was way too much of the film where the Silver Surfer was just a completely independent figure before they even tied him into Galactus and came yeah. up with the story. Yeah. And then once they did get to that link between Silver Surfer and Galactus, you're like, all right, now we're going to get into the story. And then they 
do an entirely different story in the third act with Dr. Doom, who had no reason whatsoever to be in that movie. Yeah, that was... Galactus is one of my favorite characters um, or figures in comics. I mean, he doesn't really have a lot of character depth, but in terms of a character design, uh, he's just one of the coolest things in comics. He's a giant 50-foot guy with a ridiculous space helmet, and he goes around eating planets. I mean, that's... How much cooler does it get than that? Yeah, and but the story of Galactus and the Silver Surfer and how he wound up being his herald is all interesting stuff. And Galactus, sort of the one of the most powerful forces in the universe, eventually interacting with Reed Richards, who's supposed to be one of the most brilliant individuals in the universe. Like that's a real story, a real, uh, a real connection a real Mm -hmm. chemistry that they build which they never even get to because of course galactus is a giant glowing cloud you know we we almost could do a subset of this list just for your biggest beefs with the the fantastic four movies because there have been a lot of them but let's keep it moving all right so that's that's number three number two is uh the daredevil or you know you go daredevil and electra movie but really it's the daredevil movie that i have the beef with and and i really had no problem with the characters who played them Uh, i mean they were not great choices but i could live with all of it Mm -hmm. It, my issue is that uh, and and there's a recurring theme in the comic book movies that I find have real problems. Okay. And one of them is they either take a story that requires way more backstory to it and try and tell it in, in a two hour movie. Agreed. And just can't. Or they try and tell too many stories in the same movie. Like, so the Fantastic Four movie is a, is an example of the latter where mm-hmm. you've, you've got an interesting story about Galactus and the Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four. And then in the third act, it suddenly turns into a, a side story about yeah. Dr. Doom for no reason. And Daredevil is more of a, an example of the, the former in that to really get why daredevil hates bullseye to really get why daredevil loves electra and to get why uh, it is such a huge moment when bullseye kills electra you need about 10 years worth of backstory to actually build some build some chemistry Mm -hmm. and some Mm -hmm. some depth into those characters and they just try and throw all of that into a movie that i think sits at under two hours and it's just i didn't care i mean objectively i don't know how anybody could have cared that any of those people were fighting lived died or what they meant to each other as a result yeah and it was just you know it's and i mean that's obviously also a story that i've followed for Sure. I, I 20, knew that one was going to be on your years. list in, in some way, shape, or form. I know that story is near and dear to you. All right. Well, if that was three and two, what is the number one comic misfire yeah, for you? I think you could probably predict that as well. It's the third X-Men movie, The Last Stand. <laughs> and and it's an example of both uh, being wrong in that they both took a story that required way more backstory and way more development to make it interesting which is the dark phoenix story Mm -hmm. and then they jammed it into a a joss whedon story line from the comics called gifted which is this idea of the marvel mutant uh, is the mutant cure Mm -hmm. 
and how that would affect the universe and then tried to jam both of those stories together did a terrible job telling either of them but particularly massacred the the phoenix story because yeah. you can't tell you can't tell that story without some of the background and yeah. i just i just wish that they would and and this is my fear that is what's going to happen in the reboot of the marvel universe and that the death of phoenix for me in x-men 137 is probably one of the comics that had the the biggest impact on me ever mm -hmm. and so to see them just try and tell this story so superficially uh, while overlaying it with another story which is a, the the whedon story gifted story is a great story in and of itself and i would be happy to see a movie that told that story but to give the phoenix story such disservice by suggesting i guess that it was not a story with enough depth or with enough uh, interest to just tell it as the movie's story right. that you somehow need to tack this other thing onto it and then just to do uh, a bad job of telling either of the two right so it had that issue it had both issues it had uh trying to tell a story that had too much depth to be told superficially in in a in one movie and then combining it with the need to tell a second story yeah. at the same time interesting i that's one that i remember being wildly disappointed by at the time uh, i'm struggling to remember if there was any kind of redeeming anything to that one and i don't think there was like there's you know even in some of that kind of poor x-men movies like apocalypse wasn't great but it had some cool appearances by characters or cool battles between characters that were at least kind of gratifying in a in a fanboy way but uh, I, I all i can remember about that x-men movie was uh juggernaut looking who was like as a, <laughs> as a comic book character one of the coolest most ri like ridiculous and non-realistic but coolest looking characters and in the movie he was just a dork with a bad helmet <laughs> yeah that was terrible oh, no I, I i i thought there were redeeming factors in almost all of the other x-men movies too including uh, apocalypse but that third last stand <laughs> movie all right. Well, interesting to see that uh, also that all three of your picks were from older movies. So hopefully that means that comic book movies are getting better by and large. Hopefully. So now uh, it's my turn to give you some homework for next uh -oh. week. Homework time. So the your take-home top three for next week will be uh, the top three horror movies which actually scared, uh, affected, or sunk into you in some way interesting i like that Ooh. i know i can think of a couple right off the top of my head but yeah i like that yeah and i'll just give you briefly the anecdote as to how i got to that okay because it is what it is a bit of a twisted path so when i was watching uh my next guest needs no introduction i was actually thinking about all those times in high school where you used to record letterman the night before and then i'd come over to your place the next day and watch it after school yeah and then I started thinking about other stuff that we'd watched. And I was thinking about that <laughs> summer where uh, we worked our way through the horror section of the local video store alphabetically from A to Z. Yeah. And I was uh, thought, all right, I'll just go with that. Horror movies. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, I accept that assignment. I guess with that, we should be signing off. Okay. 
We'll be back next week with another episode of Totally Sort Of, the podcast. I'm Chris McInnes. And I'm Darren Hogan. And that's it for this week. Good to talk to you, buddy. Good talking to you, too.